here. I want to give you a challenge tonight to shake it off. Shake it off. Uh, the Apostle Paul is sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. He's on his way to stand trial before Caesar in Rome. While en route, we talked last time, uh, last time we were in this uh, regular Sunday evening service, we talked about uh, the terrible storm that they encountered that caused the ship to break up. The Bible tells in the last few verses of chapter 27 that uh, the ship, as it broke up, they were some were swimming, excuse me, others were grabbing onto pieces of the ship, and they drifted to the island, but they all arrived safely as God had promised. No one died. And now I want to start reading at verse number 1 of chapter 28. And when they were escaped, and they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt, this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire, and felt no harm, howbeit they looked, when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening. As we look at these few verses here, may it be a blessing to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake it off. As always, Paul makes himself useful here. Uh, God's people do not sit around. Uh, they make themselves busy helping others. I like to see that in this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that when they came to the island, as they're all washing up to the beach or swimming up, and, and they're exhausted and they're cold, the the Bible says that the natives built up a big fire for the shipwrecked victims. Barbarous people, it calls them. Now, it really doesn't, the, the term as we would understand it today does not describe their actions because they were seemingly kind and gentle people. Uh, barbarous in this verse, though, uh, in the original, does not denote crude or vulgar or savage people as we might call our uh, barbarous people, but the Greeks applied this term to any people who did not speak the Greek language. It basically applied to all people, not their own. And so that's what this is talking about. They weren't necessarily an island of cannibals that they came onto here. But the uh, fire needed some more wood if it was going to keep going, and so Paul did not hesitate. He did not say he was too tired. He was not wearing a bad hair, don't care t-shirt, you know, and just wanted to sit around all day. He, was, he got himself immediately busy. He did not uh, active as, he, as if he was too important for that type of work. After all, he had a doctorate, and he was a, he was a rabbi, and yet none of that. He just got right to busy and got to work. Did not complain about the wind and the cold. He got busy. I love to see people like this, not waiting to ride on the coattails of others. I like folks to throw in and get involved. Uh, you see that uh, in any group of people, those who are willing to get their hands dirty, get into the work and help out, and then those that just want to stand aside and be observers, spectators. But I always appreciate folks that will get involved. Work does not scare them. One of my favorite stories, I, I, I love to read quotes and read about Booker T. Washington. He was a famous black educator. And shortly after he became the president of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in the high 
society, the rich section of town. He was stopped by a wealthy woman that lived there, white woman, obviously, and uh, not knowing who he was, he was actually pretty famous at that time and a very important person, but uh, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars chopping wood. Uh, he, he's the president of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. He's a very prestigious man. Uh, Mr. Washington said, well, at the time he had no pressing business, and so he followed her to her home close by and proceeded to chop up her wood and carry it into the fireplace by her into her house. And when he did that, a little girl recognized him and revealed who he was to this lady after he had left. She was understandably horrified that she had demeaned him in this way. The next morning, a red-faced lady was waiting in his office when he arrived at work. And this is what he said. It's a, she obviously profusely apologized. He said, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. Of course, you can imagine, uh, it wasn't long after that, uh, she and many of her wealthy acquaintances gave many thousands of dollars to the Institute. Uh, she so admired him. It's great when people can put aside their pride and just get busy doing something for God, isn't it? It's great when people aren't stuck on who they are. Uh, this is beneath me, but they'll just get busy and serve. Well, Paul gathered wood, went to lay it on the fire. Uh, when no one, what, what no one had seen in amongst the wood as they're throwing probably bundles of sticks in the fire, in amongst that wood was a serpent. It was probably cold and stiff and harmless, but after it was uh, warmed up in the heat of the fire, now it snapped up, it bit Paul on the hand, and it held on. Now, if you look at commentaries and things that people like to discuss, there's all kinds of discussion about what kind of snake this was. It doesn't really matter, but the Bible is pretty clear it was a venomous, 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 venom. it was a poisonous snake, amen? And so uh, Luke said it was poisonous, and he was a doctor, he should know. The islanders also recognized the, the snake as poisonous. So here was then the end. Paul had survived a stoning. He had survived all kinds of beatings and jailings and shipwrecks. Now he was going to die at the fangs of a snake, or so it seemed. The natives saw this, and they were alarmed by it, as anybody else who was seeing it. They had a ready explanation. They didn't know Paul, by the way. You've got to remember, they had no idea who Paul was. They said he was a murderer. Look what it says in verse, uh, oh, where are we at here? Verse 4. No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth him not to live. He had escaped the sea, but the gods are going to get him anyway. Uh, I wonder if Paul, as he heard them, if he heard them, didn't have to smile within himself a little bit. He knew that no false god had any power over him. Amen. He knew no false god would have the power to catch him in something that, uh, and punish him for it. Even Satan would have to get God's permission to touch him. God had already given Paul deliverance from the storm and the shipwreck, and Paul would not be done until he had preached the gospel to Caesar like God told him he would. So his job wasn't done. What did Paul do? Well, he shakes it off. That's what the Bible said. He shook it off, and he kept on going. Now, you ever feel eyes on you? You've been somewhere, and you know you're being watched. Paul was being watched for the next few minutes. And as he goes about, probably still gathering wood and moving around and being a help, they're watching him. They're waiting for his hand to start to swell up. They're waiting for him to start clutching his heart, waiting for him to fall over. As it says here, uh, they were looking for him to 
fall over dead, essentially. He, or fallen down dead suddenly, the Bible says. And so time passed, nothing happened. I, I bet nobody was watching closer than Luke's, uh, Luke, which was Paul's physician that was traveling with him here, the author of this book. Uh, the natives watched him. When nothing happened to him, when he did not drop over dead, this is what's fascinating to me, they changed their minds about it. No longer he's a murderer, now he's a god. That was a quick change, wasn't it? That's just amazing to me. Uh, now, I know Paul was a stranger, and they're just making speculation here. But this is so much like humanity today. Oh my, oh my, if I haven't learned one thing in ministry, and we all have if you're in church at any time, uh, people are fickle, are they not? They can love you today, and they can hate you tomorrow. You can be a hero today, and tomorrow be a villain. One day you're a friend, and the next day you're a bitter enemy. If I were to converse with my 17-year-old self, I don't know if anybody ever fantasizes about stuff like that, but I do all the time, going back and having a chat with myself. A few things I would tell myself, uh, warn myself about, and uh, some decisions I would avoid, maybe. Uh, but if I could have a chat with my 17-year-old self, but if my 17-year-old self asked me, what was your biggest surprise as an adult? I think this would have to be one of them, the fickleness of people. I can honestly say, before God, before you tonight, there's not a soul on this planet that I would not be quick to smile and shake their hand. And, but there are those that I know, and you can't, you do as well, that have a list of people that they will not speak with, will not uh, have anything to do with that, maybe even used to be friends. And that really just boggles my mind. I know there's an awkwardness. I know that we uh, get hurt. I know that not everyone can be best friends. But my goodness, what about forgiveness? What about what the Bible says about uh, moving on beyond that? What about healing? What about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before? I mean, here, honestly, look at these people here. He's a murderer. Now he's a god. Just minutes later, how quickly are, and fickle people are, and it's still true today. May I encourage you, friend, to be a steady, eddy kind of Christian? Just be steady and consistent in what you believe. I believe that honors the Lord. Hebrews 13.9, the Bible says, Be not carried about with diverse do uh, and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that thy heart be established with grace. Let us be stable, consistent, and steady children of God. I think that's a blessing. Now, the truth was, Paul was not a murderer, nor was he a god. He wasn't either one of those. He was a man that God always intended him to be, saved, led by the Spirit, and the, and, and the people noticed that, and of course it made an impact. Now, there are two other times we read in the book of Acts of Paul's shaking off something. In Acts 13.51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. In chapter 18, verse 6, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment, and said unto them, Your blood be upon your heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. Paul made an impact for the Lord wherever he went. One of the things he did well was to shake it off. One of the things he did is when he was hurt, when he was wronged, when he was falsely accused, when he was all, all kinds of things done against him, he had the ability to shake. Remember when he was stoned and we think dead? What did he do? He shook himself off and went back and went back to preaching. He was uh, that kind of Christian. You know, you can still visit Malta today and see the appreciation of the people there for what Paul did over 2,000 years ago. 
There's a church in that area today called St. Paul's Shipwreck Church. Now, it's not an independent fundamental Baptist church, but it is a church there that honors what Paul did. Through the power of God, we also can throw off, shake off the challenges that are thrown at us. Three different things I want you to see here with Paul tonight. When we're stranded, shake it off. Paul's stranded on the island of Melita. Melita is an island that's 17 miles long, 9 miles wide. It's about 60 miles south of Sicily. There's an island here where, uh, this is the island that Paul finds himself stranded. He's wet, he's exposed to the wind, and uh, it's cold, but he does not complain. In fact, he has a large captive audience in which he can be, uh, that, that needs to be evangelized, and he got busy doing it. There will come a time, no doubt, in our life, when we are physically, or emotionally, or uh, spiritually stranded. We are not able to come and go as we once did. Life throws us a curveball. An unexpected hardship falls in our lap. What will we do? Well, Paul here, he was still a captive. Even though he's shipwrecked, he's still a prisoner. He's bound for Rome. He's already been stuck in Caesarea for over two years, and now he's stuck again. But he still does not let them, this get him down. He shook it off. He went out to get sticks, gathered them, keep the fire burning. What an example he is for us. Paul continued to serve all the time that he could. Every time, wherever he was, he got busy doing something for God. Even sitting in a prison, we have the epistles that he wrote. He did something for the Lord at all times. He always stayed busy in humble service for God. And that, I believe, is what God wants from us even when we're stranded. Do something for God. Rather than sitting and fretting when you're stranded, shake it off, get busy for God. Just a personal note. Uh, many of you are very well aware. My wife and I faced a real heartache a few years ago when one of our daughters left home. And I am grateful. I, I don't think that she even knows how much I'm grateful for the fact that she stayed in the work with me. It was an easy time to quit. It was an easy time to throw in the towel. It was a very heartbreaking time, maybe even more for her than, than, than for me. And I'm grateful that she had the spirituality and the backbone to shake it off and keep picking up sticks, keep ministering, keep serving people. And last week was kind of a payoff to that. We had a great week with our daughter coming back to visit for the first time in a while. I'm just simply saying, don't let bad circumstances deflect you from your responsibility. Shake it off. Keep on serving. Keep on working. God will work around the situation if we stay busy for Him. So, in, when we're stranded, shake it off. Number two, when you're stricken, shake it off. Verse three, we see that he uh, got bit here by a snake. If you do something for God, you will stir up the devil. Can I say that again? If you do something for God, you will stir up the devil every time. Heat wakes snakes. Now, when believers are cold and asleep, the devil doesn't need to worry. But you let a child of God get busy, and that old serpent's going to attack. It's going to wake him up from his slumber as well, and he's going to try to get in the way. Paul had faced a storm, a shipwreck, and now he's bitten by a serpent. He has been, uh, he's now been wounded by this snake. The devil will attempt to wound those who hurt him the most, who get in the way. As I've always said before, uh, if you're doing nothing for God, uh, Satan will usually leave you alone. But you get busy for God, and he'll get in the way. 
How many times have you ever heard of a Catholic church split? I haven't. I hear about Baptist church splits altogether too often. But if we're not doing anything for God, he's not going to get in the way. The devil does not like a happy, serving Christian. You may be wounded by your family. You may be wounded by your foe. You may be wounded by your friends. Shake it off and keep on going for God the way that Paul did here. Job said about his friends, and then we see as we read the book of Job, when they came to comfort him, they were pretty miserable comforters. They weren't, they weren't the kind of people you want to come around on a rainy day, amen? Instead of coming to comfort him, they criticized him. And you too may be wounded by the ungratefulness of others, or wounded by the unfaithfulness of others, or wounded by the unthoughtfulness of others. Can I encourage you tonight, shake it off and keep going forward for God. Keep on gathering sticks. Keep on coming to church faithfully. Keep on teaching that class or working in whatever area God's got you on. Keep on going for God. We need to learn to shake it off. Number three, when you're slandered, shake it off. Verse four through six, we see here, they had a ready explanation when Paul got bit. This, he was bitten because he was wicked. They, and, and it's interesting, they were quick to make that accusation. Now, can I say tonight, we need to be very careful about condemning a man when he gets into trouble. Uh, this, is, this was an unfair accusation. And to be falsely accused is very hurtful. Probably all of us at some time have been falsely accused, and it is no picnic. We don't enjoy that. Yet there will be those that will do it. And when you are suffering, when something really bad happens in your life, that is the last place, the last time we want somebody's fingers pointing at us accusingly. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what the unspiritual will do there? Point at him, kick at him, and, uh, and, and, and kick that brother when he's down. That's what the unspiritual do. But ye that are spiritual, we need to restore, we need to encourage, we need to lift up. It goes on to say in verse 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I had somebody come by the office yesterday and, and was talking to me about some things that were uh, just really hurting in, in their life and, and uh, hesitated even coming to church because of just feeling bad and awkward about what's going on. And I encourage them here and I always want to have that spirit in our church. We are a hospital for, saint, uh, for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Amen? Uh, we welcome people here with problems because every single one of us have problems. And it's easy when we are, we are really suffering and we really have a trial in our life, it is easy for us to come to church, look around and see everybody else has got everything together. I'm the only one hurting, I'm the only one suffering. You know what everybody else is thinking? Probably about the same thing. Because all of us are going through something and we go through these difficulties. Acts chapter 20 verse 5, I have showed you all things, how so laboring you ought to support the weak. Romans 15.1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We ought to support those when they are down. The last thing we need to do is point fingers. He was accused unjustly. It's bad enough to have your faults pointed out to you when you're in midst of trouble, but it's really bad when it's unfair and unfounded. Uh, neither one ought to be a goal of ours when people are going through difficult times. It was a pointed accusation. Look how they started it out. No doubt. No doubt. Really? <laughs> I mean, you have no doubt 
you don't know the person, you don't know his background, you know where he came from, you don't know anything about him. They're quickly to say, no doubt. They were sure they had Paul pegged. The truth was, they had no idea what they were talking about. But in their own minds, there was no doubt. There's a, there's a lot of times people uh, will have something in their own minds, and they are wrong, but in themselves they have no doubt uh, that, there's a, that they know what they're talking about. But you cannot judge a man's sin by their suffering in this world. We have to be careful with that. We're so quick to see trouble come into somebody's life and then wonder what they did to deserve it. That's kind of how human beings think. McLaren said this, and I quote, A good man may be stung by a serpent in the act of doing a good thing. That does not prove him to be a monster. A bad man may be unhurt in what seems fatal. That does not prove him to be a saint. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Let's uh, be careful how quickly we are to jump on the uh, accusatory wagon. By the way, it's the same mistake the disciples made with the man born blind. Remember that? Uh, this uh, John chapter 9, they came across a man who had been born blind. Do you remember the question the disciples asked? This makes a lot of sense here. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Did you hear the question? Who sinned that he was born blind? Where is he going to sin? To be born blind in the womb? Uh, that, it's kind of a ridiculous question. But uh, of course, Jesus' answer was that neither his parents nor he sinned in, to cause the blindness uh, that God might be glorified. We can be guilty of two extremes. We can be guilty of never making an affliction the result of a sin. And we can be guilty of thinking any person experiencing suffering must have done something to deserve it. Those both of them are wrong assumptions. Neither extreme is right. Some sin does cause affliction, but not all affliction is because of sin. Some things God brings into our lives for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes he throws us into the fire as he does gold to be purified. Oftentimes, some of the greatest saints have been permitted to suffer. A.W. Tozer, he said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. How true that is. People are quick to judge and then change their opinions. It also could be a paralyzing accusation here. What people say about you can be enough to make you quit for God, unless you learn to shake it off, which is what Paul did. That's what he did. He shook it off. Here's some instructions to help us in closing. I'll give you three things that will be a help when this happens and how to shake it off. Number one, be careful not to nurse your hurts. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Uh, be filled with a sense of self-pity. Nursing our hurts only causes you to grow bitter, only causes that problem to grow. If you indulge in self-pity, I don't know who made this statement, but I like it. If you indulge in self-pity, then only, the only sympathy you can expect is from the same source, self. People don't tend to show up to your self-pity parties, do they? You can put invites out, but people don't like to show up to a pity party. What's the answer then? It's a better idea to become a grateful Christian. Can I tell you this? Self-pity and gratitude are mortal enemies. They cannot coexist. You're not going to have a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of self-pity at the same time. One of them is going to go. And so, there, by, by the way, both of them are highly contagious. Choose gratitude. That's a better, much better state of mind to be in than self-pity. So number one, be careful not to nurse your hurts. Number two, be prayerful and disperse your hurts. Hand your hurts over to the Lord. 
1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore let them suffer according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That word commit means to deposit as a trust or protection. Turn them over to the Lord. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There are times that we need bigger shoulders than we have. Amen? We need to cast them over to the Lord. Lean on the Lord. Have you ever heard of the triangle of hurt? Never heard this terminology till this week. I read this. The triangle of hurt says it takes three people to hurt you. It takes the person that said it. It takes the person that heard it and passed it on. And it takes you to accept it. That's the triangle of hurt. Paul did not let these words hurt him. He shook it off. And he went on for God. So, be careful not to nurse your hurts. Be careful to disperse your hurts. And then, number three, allow God to reverse your hurts. I, heard, I read about a new pilot who had just received his instrument rating. He was excited to fly by himself. And he went up on his solo flight, and then the clouds began to come in. He was extremely nervous because he couldn't see a thing. It was his first instrument landing, or actual instrument landing on the runway. And he was making it on a runway that he could not see. He was beginning to panic until a voice came over the radio, and this is what it says. You just obey the instructions, and we'll take care of the obstructions. I like that. Uh, only God can make things work together for good. Sometimes we just need to obey the instructions and let him remove the obstructions in our life. If we would be able to do that, uh, we certainly would live a more victorious life. That would allow us to shake off in our life the things that we cannot or that we're not in control of. Let him work out the details. You just be faithful and obey. George MacDonald. No words can express how much the world owes to sorrow. Think about that. He goes on, most of the Psalms were born in the wilderness. Most of the epistles were written in prison. The greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers have all passed through fire. In bonds, John Bunyan lived the story he afterwards wrote in Pilgrim's Progress. Take comfort, afflicted Christian. When God is about to make a preeminent use of a person, he puts them in a fire. Hey, we need to learn to let God do what he needs with our life in order to use us how he pleases. Amen? All we have to do is trust in him. We need to learn to shake it off. We need to learn these when, when hurts come our way and when false accusations come our way and difficulties come on our way or even a snake gets on our hands proverbially, we need to learn to shake it off and go on for God. I've used this illustration before, but I can't preach this message without this illustration. It works so well. You know the story about the farmer's donkey that fell down in the well. He fell down in the well, and the farmer cried piteously for hours, trying to figure out a way to get him out. Finally, he decided it was impossible. The well was old, or the animal was old, and the well was dry. There's just nothing he could do to get him out of there. So the farmer decided to fill the well. He takes a shovel and he begins to shovel dirt into the well. Oh, he cannot even bear to look down at the, his old friend that he's starting to bury. At first, when the donkey realized what was happening, he brayed. I'm not going to make the sound, but you know what a sound a donkey makes. And he started to, uh, he cried out horribly. And then the farmer didn't hear him anymore. He just quieted down. With every shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was shaking it off. And he'd take a few steps around and shake it off. And uh, as the farmer continued to shovel dirt, he continued to shake it off. A step around, take a step up. 
Soon, to the farmer's amazement, he heard a sound behind him, and he looked, and there was the donkey, almost out of the well. All the dirt was being shoveled down on him. He shook it off, stepped up, and of course, you know the moral of the story. Life's going to shovel dirt on you. We can either let it sit there and bury us, we learn to shake it off. Shake it off and go forward for God. The trick of getting out of the well of disappointment, of trial, of trouble, of hurt, the secret to getting out of that well is to learn to be able to shake some things off and go on for God. The way to get out of the deepest well is by never giving up. Shake yourself off. Take a step up. What happens to you is not nearly as important as how you react to what happens to you. We see that all through the life of Paul. How will you respond to the troubles of life? I hope you can do what Paul did. Shake it off.